Demon Hunter is in Guelph on their current North American tour. Ryan Clark of Demon Hunter is here to chat with The Antidote. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Demon Hunter is currently on tour with In Flames, but you're also playing a lot of Canadian dates. So uh, are you enjoying the snow? Um, I would say we're uh, we're enjoying it a little bit. The snow's one thing. Um, usually when it's snowing, it's actually warmer than it has been when it's not. Um, when we were in Western Canada, it was down in the single digits and loading all the gear into the trailer at that, you know, when it's like that is not fun. Um, but as far as the shows go, the Canadian shows have been absolutely the, the shining moments of this tour. Um, I think it's a combination of how In Flames is received here and the fact that we've never been up to Canada as a band, you know, in the 10 years that we've been running. This is our first time. So, uh, I think... Both of those kind of made for a perfect storm. So the Canadian dates have been awesome. Um, really great fans, really well-packed-out shows, and so it's been great. But Demon Hunter isn't just being restricted to playing Canada. You guys are doing a lot of major global touring this year. Can you fill us in a little bit? Yeah, we, um, we're we doing a short stint in Australia about two weeks after we get home from this, which is about a week and a half from now. And then we come back home for another three, four weeks, and we go to South America for a little bit. Um, and then it seems like at that point we'll probably kind of dive back into writing uh, for some, some new material for a uh, new release. But yeah, this record, uh, True Defiance, we've done a lot more touring on this record than ever before. We hit Europe right after the record came out, and then we did a couple of uh, small U.S. tours last year uh, in the summer, and then this came up, and it was just good timing, so it's not something that we necessarily planned on. It just all kind of came together, and uh, it, this has ended up being our, our most uh, amount of touring on, on a record cycle. How about playing within Flames? You really enjoying that? It seemed to be a good mash. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's good because I think there's definitely some crossover fans, and then there's a lot of fans... Um, you know, they've been a band for 20 years, so they've got a very solid, very expansive fan base. Um, and we're one of those bands that falls close enough into the category of the genre that they play, um, where I feel like we're definitely playing to a lot of new people that are actually really receptive to what we do. And um, there's enough of kind of a genre crossover um, that makes sense. So I think we're we're definitely not falling on as many deaf ears as we would um, with a, a band that was a lot more different than we are. I think that we share enough similarities to actually you know gain more fans which is what a, a support tour is all about you know you go out and you hope to impress the uh, the fans of the headlining band and kind of pick those up so that next time you're in town you know all those people will be at your headliner show and I, I, it feels like that's um like that's the case which is really cool but it must feel a little bit different since you are the support band instead of being the headline which is typical for you guys it is yeah um we spent, you know, the first eight years of the band just doing head headlining runs, um, and they worked out really well for us. We got to a point where we just decided it was probably time to experiment a little bit um, with the way that we toured. So the first non-headlining tour that we ever did was in 2010 with Azalea Dying. Um, we did a main support for them, and that worked out great. Again, it felt like we were kind of picking up some new fans. Um, we were able to play areas that we probably wouldn't hit on a headlining tour um what we what you would consider like b or c markets um and when we tour since we do it so infrequently we just hit the major cities because that's what makes sense for us but when we go out supporting another band 
that actually is able to bring in fans in small in some of the smaller outskirts towns that for us is really great because we get to play for a bunch of people in a new place and hopefully uh you know fall on some new ears um so we've, yeah we've been toying around with like the way that we tour and and what makes sense for us as a band at this point um and you know we have a lot of fun doing this it's it's definitely a little easier than do, than doing a headlining run there's not as much pressure uh from a kind of management standpoint as far as us you know just all the little dealings on the road usually you know if we're headlining we have a tour manager that kind of runs the whole show and um this way we kind of get to sit back and enjoy it and um you know in flames crews putting everything together and making sure everything goes smoothly so we, we're just kind of along for the ride we don't have to sound check we can you know put all of our energy into a you know 45 minutes as opposed to an hour and 20 and kind of be really worn out every night so there's definite perks to doing this it just seems like it really it's it's working very well for what we want to do right now now with all your years of touring what's been the most exceptional thing that's ever happened on tour or the most memorable uh that's a really good question i would say the first time we went to europe um that was the most that was the most memorable tour there was you know there was a good handful of specific things that would happen but just overall in general it was you know i've never been out of north america i've been you know i live in seattle so i've been up to vancouver um i used to live in california so i've been down just just right into the northern part of mexico um and i've been to hawaii outside of that i haven't been out of you know the continent so for us to jump over to europe and for it to be the first time I'm there to be touring, that's a really cool way to kind of experience a new place. So even though the shows were maybe a little smaller or a little different, they were exciting just because we were in Europe, we were in a new place, and we, we definitely made a point of going out and seeing as much new stuff as we could, going to museums, going to churches, going to all that really cool kind of scenic and cultural stuff, really soaking in all that stuff. So that that made it seem like it was even more than just a tour, because um, we really made a point of doing all that stuff. You handle both the clean and raw vocals for Demon Hunter. Is that not really a stretch for you? I wouldn't say it's a stretch, no. There are certain parts of songs that, uh, when we do certain songs live, there's a strategy to making them sound as accurate or as full as we can. Um, every guy in the band right now has a microphone, um, and so we do three, sometimes four-part harmonies on stuff, even kind of expanding on where the record left off, making things sound even bigger and broader. There are some songs that are real word-heavy um, for me, and so I'll kind of assign some of the other guys a couple of little words just so I can grab a breath before a big part. Um, so we do that every once in a while. So there's a lot of trading off on stage um, in kind of strategic areas where I need a little bit of help. Um, and not only is that does it make it flow better and is it easier for me, but it makes kind of the show a little more dynamic. People get to see different people on stage singing and stuff like that. And um, lucky for me i have three other guys in the band right now that are actually really good singers and so taking full advantage of that which is cool let's talk just a little bit about the makeup of the band your brother don clark was one of the founding members of demon hunter but when don left back in 2010 what kind of effect did that have on the band um it was definitely quite a bit different for me i think most of the changes that took place at that point affected me more than they affected the outside you know the fan or you know the listener um the biggest changes were that he was kind of the businessier guy of the band 
I handled a good chunk of the songwriting duties and a good chunk of the artistic duties and aesthetic things. And he definitely helped me with all that stuff. He wrote, you know, quite a bit of the um, the music with me. But really, I think the biggest blow for me was I'm not a business guy at all. Like, you know, we have a manager, and so that makes things a hundred times easier. But on top of the manager, my brother was kind of like the guy on the road that would figure out all the routing and um, kind of deal with people on the road. He would settle up with promoters. He would, um, he's very uh, proactive in that way, and he's assertive. And um, I'm very opposite of him in that way. So I kind of had to take up the torch of being band leader guy and I actually have some guys in the band that are probably better at it than I am now and so I kind of have them help me out with it um but that was a big change for me it's just uh kind of taking on a little bit more wearing a more business hat and then just as far as songwriting goes you know I, I like I said I wrote a lot of the stuff while he was in the band I, I wrote a good chunk of the stuff um some of the my favorite riffs on records are his um so the change there was that I just took over all the songwriting and so now it's just like kind of all in my lap it's not too much or intimidating I, I love writing and it actually when I start to sit down and write a record it really flows really well so um it wasn't a difficult change at all, but it definitely was different. The only kind of um, opinion I have on a song or on a riff or on a part is just my own. So there's no like back and forth. There's no communication really there. Um, you know, I have to try and be a little more scrutinizing with what I do just to make sure that it's right. So, you know, things like that. Three of the members of Demon Hunter were also either are or previously in the showdown. You know, you've got Yogi Watts, Patrick Judge, and now Jeremiah Scott. They're all part of the band. What kind of effect did these guys have on Demon Hunter? Um, well, through the years, the biggest change for the band, which also reflects in the songs on the records, is the skill level of the guys. Uh, when we started the band, it was just my brother and I. And my brother and I's skill level, as far as guitar goes, um, is definitely has like a lower ceiling than most metal guys. Um, so the first records are definitely more simple. There's no like guitar solos. There's no real showy kind of stuff. Um, the drums are fairly simple. I think everything's well played and it sounds good, but you can just tell this progression over the, you know, the six records that things started to speed up. Things started to get a little bit more complex and we're by no means like a, um, a mathy or a, or a complex band as far as metal goes. But within our sound and within what we do, it's definitely taken steps towards a more, a little more technical, um, little more showy in terms of guitar work i mean that was when patrick joined the band actually it was the stair step was from my brother and myself to ethan um who was a great guitar player that's when we started adding a little you know a few little simple guitar solos with the triptych and strum the gates of hell and then patrick took over after that point and it even took a step up from there where the guitar solos are faster and the drums are faster and um yogi Although he started on the third record, the triptych, his skill level kind of takes a step up every single record. That's kind of a purposeful thing on my end when I'm writing a record. Uh, nowadays, I'm thinking at it in terms of uh, not necessarily what can I give these guys that's kind of simple to play and, you know, we won't have to fuss about technicalities. Um, at this point now, I'm, I'm thinking, well, how can I push the guys um, push myself as a songwriter to write things that are a little more technical and a little more in-depth musically. So 
I think that's the biggest changes that have happened over the years. And these guys in the band now, uh, musically, are the best guys that have been, ever been in the band. And I think everyone that's been in the band previous to those guys would would agree. Um, just on a on a musician level, now I don't feel like there are any boundaries with what I do when I'm writing a song. I can make it as as crazy and technical and off time and weird as I want. Although you know, like I said, there's definitely like a demon hunter thing that I'd like to keep kind of intact. Yeah, it's the the boundaries are expanding from what they were when we started. That was going to be one of the questions. Yeah, after six studio albums, how do you maintain the Demon Hunter sound without the music becoming formulaic? How do you keep it fresh? Um, at this point, it seems like whatever I'm going to write is just going to come out sounding like a Demon Hunter song. At this point, I mean, I would have to make a conscious effort to write something that fell outside of those the, the you know the sound that we've created when i sit down to write a heavy song as long as it has my voice on top of it and it, it's in using the kind of melodies that i do and and uh the structure and the cadence of the vocal and things like that i think it's just bound to end up sounding like a demon hunter song i mean there's certain songs that i think maybe are a lot different in these last few records you know and if it was someone else singing on it or if, if it was instrumental or something you know it might not sound like a demon hunter song but i think that uh when we all come together and, and do it in the studio um, and my voice ends up on it, it's just going to end up sounding like that. So I think that it's not a very conscious effort at all. I don't feel like I'm confined to a sound. I feel like it's almost like a default thing for me at this point. That definitely makes it easier. When I, when I sit down to write, I just write. I don't think too hard about whether where it's going to fit and how it's going to fit. Well, I mean, talking about the musicianship of the guys in the band, really, you seem to just take it to a new level, though, on True Defiance. Well, you seem to really stretch more musically. Certainly, you know, with some of the guitar solos are really outstanding. Crucifix, that's just a killer track. But this is going to be part of the picture? Yeah. To me, there's a there's a limit to how far we can take it before we start becoming this other band entirely. But with that said, within that blueprint that we have, my goal is always to make every record like push the speed a little bit, uh, push the technicality a little bit, push my vocal range a little bit, push the tonality of what I'm doing, both with the screaming and the singing vocals. And then from a songwriting perspective, push maybe structure and um, formula a little bit you know it all fits within this demon hunter blueprint but there's i think there's small areas where we can play with existing things tweak them a little bit to, to keep it interesting and keep it fresh but yeah you know i i approach every record like there needs to be some songs at least that are a little bit faster a little bit you know more brutal or or heavy um there's some songs that need to be even catchier um the ballad choruses need to hit you even harder they need to be even hookier um so things like that are always very that's a very kind of conscious effort that I make to try and crank everything up a couple notches. Well, I know on the latest album, you brought out Dead Flowers, which personally I think, Phil, that's one of the best ballads that you've ever done. But how key are the ballads overall in the whole scheme of music for Demon Hunter? Um, I think they're really important in terms of what a fan has come to expect from Demon Hunter. And um, they're also important for us in order to kind of keep our sanity. I don't think I would be satisfied just writing a bunch of heavy music um, that just kind of hits you from the second you put the record on to the second that it's done. I've always liked records that kind of flow and have peaks and valleys, um, kind of have movements to where it feels like you're kind of taking a journey. And if that journey is just all hell the whole time or all brutality or whatever, by song four or five, it just starts to lose its intensity. 
and there are a handful of records that I like that do that you know that are pretty much heavy the whole time but I would say generally I like a record that moves a little more um kind of has more dynamic to it moves a little more interesting so on a fulfillment level of a songwriter um, being able to explore outside of that heavy stuff and kind of go in a in a more melodic direction is um is really fulfilling for me as a writer it's fulfilling for us in the studio to do something new and different and then like i said it's something that the fans expect and not only expect but those songs most of the time those songs are the ones that i feel people really cling to um, there's some of our, our best selling songs. If you go buy songs like in iTunes, it's usually the ballads are at the very top. So, I mean, um, that kind of gives me an idea that maybe those are the most popular songs it, with people, with fans. Um, so I know that people like them a lot. Another thing is that I feel like there's, they're kind of a gateway for a lot of people to listen to the band. Um, a lot of people have been like, yeah, you know, I heard Heartstrings or I heard Carry Me Down and I thought it was great and I wasn't into metal before. And then I bought the record. It kind of shocked me, but now I love you guys and blah, blah, blah. So it almost seems like that's kind of like a gateway for people to get into the band and get into metal in general. Um, so they're very important. Um, and we're going to kind of play around with just how much we do that thing in the future too. Um, we definitely will never trip out all the heavy stuff but um, yeah, it's, it's very fulfilling to be able to do all of those kind of dynamics. Now, the lyrical themes of Demon Hunter have always been heavy, but are you trying to give comfortable Christians a wake-up call, or is this for everybody, not just Christians singularly? Um, both. Yeah, it's definitely a wake-up call for non-believers, for sure. Um, I feel like that's probably one of the most important aspects of what we do. I like to speak about the world from a Christian perspective in a way that is relatable to maybe even a non-Christian. Um, it's very important for me that we be down to earth and be normal and live outside of that Christian bubble so that people that aren't Christians can realize that we're real people, that we're human, and that we're, um, we're a relatable source for them. So they can, you know, they feel like we get them, we get their struggles, we get their trials, we get, you know, whatever they're going through. It's not a specifically Christian thing. And it's, like I said, we don't live in that bubble. And so that's always been a very important aspect of, of the lyrical content is to not, not seem like we're kind of preaching to the choir. And I feel like there is an element of Demon Hunter that kind of pumps up Christians and makes, you know, makes Christians feel proud of who they are. Um, and I think that's an important element. But um, I think there's an, also a counterpart to that that exists almost for, completely for non-Christians, just so they can get a, uh, a more realistic, more human um, but yet still Christian worldview, kind of just putting on a, a pair of glasses, you know, that is Christianity and looking at the world in that way, as opposed to, you know, being some a very unrelatable alien source that people don't understand. And there also is um, an element, like you said, kind of waking up the Christians that are um, very comfortable and very kind of live in their, in their bubble. I definitely purposefully throw in some things to kind of maybe shock those people, maybe jar them a little bit. You know, I like doing that kind of thing. I think there's there's a, a for subtle kind of uh, confrontation or mixing things up a little bit, make stir things, stir the pot a little bit, make people think um, using words and phrases that that might be a little bit taboo in the Christian world, but um, using them in context and you know being smart about the the things I say. Um, I definitely like doing that too because I think it, you can get kind of wrapped up in in that very unrelatable, unrealistic, unhuman Christian bubble, and I kind of refuse to put ourselves there, and, and I like kind of shaking things up so 
Now, I think the song I was most surprised by on True Defiance is one of the bonus tracks, I Am a Stone. How did you ever come up with the idea of adding a cello to carry the tune? Um, actually, we did a song on the last record um, called Driving Nails. There's a string element to it, and I think there's some cello and violin and um, a few other string instruments. We've done that a few times, actually. We started the, on the first record, My Throat is an Open Grave. There's some strings on there, and we'd like to kind of incorporate some real orchestration in that. And that's always totally real. It's not keyboards. That is a guy named Chris Carmichael, and he does every instrument and he sets it up in a way that allows it to sound like a stereo, you know, like you're like a whole bunch of people are playing. Um, and he kind of moves around the room in the place where you would sit playing whatever instrument. And he can play everything, and uh, he's insanely good at it. And uh, we started using him on, I think, the third or fourth record. And I just love how much he adds to every song. So he did the... Um, the string instrumentation and he kind of wrote the parts for his strings for driving nails and it seemed like the strings that he did for that song filled out the song so well that you could almost take all the instruments out and so we did a version of that on the deluxe edition where we did take all the instruments out and left in just the strings so on the deluxe edition of the world is a thorn there is a string version of driving nails that I liked almost as much as the version with, you know, all the, the band instrumentation in it. So then I thought, well, since I like that so much, why don't I just write a song for the next record that is just that, that is just strings. Um, and so that was my intention with that. So I, I wrote it on a guitar just to get the melody down, just to get the key. Um, and then I sent him that like a very, you know, the vocals were completely done and they were just over a single guitar doing, a, a you know, keeping the, the keys and the movements in, intact. And then he just went crazy with it. So that was the idea behind that. Aaron Sprinkles produced all your studio albums. How important has his input been to the development of Demon Hunter's music? Um, quite a bit, actually. I think he's one of the major reasons why we don't necessarily sound like your typical metal band. Everyone that knows Aaron's work knows that he's not a metal producer um, by any stretch, and he's been approached by a lot of bands in the metal genre since he started doing Demon Hunter Records. Um, you know, I think ever since he did Summer of Darkness, he's gotten... Um, a lot of metal bands approach him because of the stuff he's done for us and he doesn't do those records just because it's not really his forte we're good friends and so i think that you know he likes doing our records because we see very eye to eye on certain things outside of the metal world i don't know if he tells this directly to the bands that ask him but he always says like i don't produce metal records i do demon hunter records but i won't do metal records so we're, we're spoiled because we're the only ones that get access to him as a metal band but Initially, it was definitely kind of, it, had, it was the tooth and nail connection, and it was, he was in Seattle, and so it was kind of a default thing, um, and that default thing turned into a, a relationship, a very good bond musically, and a very strong kind of connection to what we do. He gets what we want to do every single record. Um, he understands the kind of feel um, that we're going for. I think our stuff is, is vibier than a lot of just straight brutal metal, um, and so he kind of helps add that element to it that kind of makes it more dynamic and interesting. Um, he pushes me for sure vocally. That's one of his, I would say that the three areas he shines the most in is song structure, first and foremost. Um, he helps us kind of fine-tune a few th little things and tweak a few things that make the songs structure-wise um, feel better in terms of how they flow. Secondly, all the small details of the songs, the little sounds, 
the little um whether it's little keyboard things or little guitar tone things all the interesting little sounds that you hear outside of just straight instrumentation has always been him and that's been a big element of what demon hunter does and then vocals um he helps me to think outside the box in terms of melodies and harmonies um i kind of have like a default thing that i do especially when it comes to harmonies and he'll help me kind of think outside of that world so a lot of the stuff that's come to kind of be the demon hunter sound over the years has been shaped by him just as much as it has been by anyone else um so he's a very integral part of of the whole puzzle musicians and bands are referred to as artists but Ryan, you take that up another notch by also having your own graphic art company. How does the art of music mesh with the visual arts? Well, the aesthetic of the band has always been super important. Um, And my involvement with the visual side of things for the band and for other bands has been a, a really important part of, I think, our success and our um fan base over the years um i think that even people that aren't maybe aren't artists themselves i think you still realize um when a band kind of has all the when they're kind of artistic in every angle and every avenue um I, I always like when it, when a band that I like isn't just great musically, but everything else that they have to offer, whether it's merchandise or music videos or photo shoot or album packaging or special packaging or you know live show, uh, what they wear on stage, what you know all that kind of stuff. Every little aspect down to the <clears throat> smallest detail of it, uh, the aesthetic. When that's all feels quality and feels like it was thought out, it makes that whole the whole package. Um, it, it just feels better feels more quality feels like there was more thought put into it and i've always liked that about certain bands there are certain bands that just have it dialed and those are the ones that i kind of gravitate to more um i feel like we give our fans a lot outside of the music we give them a lot to kind of digest um which kind of helps the fact that we don't you know we are infrequent tourers um and so if we're not going to be out on the road all the time the least we can do is you know offer cool merchandise or make more music videos than most bands or even be in the studio more than most bands so we try and kind of fill in the gaps of not touring with you know at least giving something of of the band but my kind of visual mind and my music mind are definitely kind of one and the same and melded I'm always thinking visually when I when I'm thinking about even when I'm writing songs I'm thinking about them visually I'm, I'm kind of like I'm thinking about album artwork for records that are two, you know, two, three records down the road. Um, I'm always very much like uh, the wheels are always turning, you know, about how something's going to look or how I'm going to how I'm going to design something or what the photo shoot's going to look like or whatever for a record. So it's all those wheels are kind of moving in unison while I'm writing or while we're in the studio or whatever it is. So it's I think it helps just make everything feel like a, a more cohesive unit. The Antidote's been speaking with Ryan Clark of Demon Hunter. Ryan, thanks for connecting with The Antidote. No problem. Thanks for having me.